The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Today is Tuesday, June 16th. We are continuing our All-32 series here at CBS Sports, covering all 32 teams in the summer and the offseason heading into the upcoming season. As you can probably tell already, I am not Will Brinson. Will Brinson is on his first of what I assume will be three or four vacations per usual. Um, I'm also not John Breach. I know a lot of people get our voices confused. Uh, but we're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars today, which means we cannot bring in John Breach, who cannot pronounce the team name. That's kind of a uh, prerequisite to talk about the Jags. I am Sean Wagner McGough. Uh, your favorite super friend, and I'm really excited to welcome Hayes Carline today to the show. Covers the Jaguars for 1010 AM, 92.5 FM, 1010XL.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Hayes Carline um, on Twitter. Uh, he covers the Jaguars, as previously mentioned. So welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Sure thing. Thanks so much for having me. So I wanted to start by talking about the quarterback position um, in Jacksonville. And we're going to get into the Yannick, Yannick Ngagwe situation, maybe even the Jalen Ramsey situation that unfolded last year after the sure. break. But I really do think this is a really interesting situation at quarterback that is kind of being overlooked largely because the Jaguars are the Jaguars. And from a national perspective, they're never that interesting of a football team. But I'm curious to hear what your thoughts on Gardner Menchie is because, look, they brought in Nick Foles a year ago. That did not work out, not the Foles' fault in week one, certainly when he gets hurt. And I don't think anyone expected Gardner Menchie to come in there and have any measure of success. And then you look at his numbers when the season's over. I thought he played pretty well, and I think he's flying under the radar as a potential long-term option in Jacksonville. So I guess my question for you is, do you think uh, Menchie has a sincere chance to be their new franchise quarterback, or is he more the sacrificial lamb in a tanking year, and they're going to go get a quarterback in next year's draft? Yeah, they're both great questions. Uh, no, they, they feel like he legitimately might be their long-term answer. Uh, I, I know that some of their moves this offseason would suggest, uh, tanking in terms of the veterans that they've let go, but, uh, but they don't view it that way. Uh, now I don't particularly think they'll be very good, but I don't think it's a deliberate tank. I just think that, you know, they're launching, uh, kind of a rebuild and, uh, while they expect to be competitive, you know, I, I don't know how realistic that is, but it all starts with Gardner Minshew and, you know, I think, you know, you referenced the Chiefs opener last year where Foles gets hurt, 11 snaps in, and Minshew comes in and, and plays. I think he had 22 of 25 and uh, really uh, played much beyond what we were expecting after a fairly dreadful preseason. 
And I remember talking to Doug Marone after that game, and uh, the Jaguars had a first-year offensive coordinator, John Filippo, and, and I asked Doug, I said, what does that say about Flip that his starter goes down and he's able to get that kind of production out of Minshew? And Doug sort of stopped me and flipped it and said, no, no, no. What it says is how uh, rare Gardner Minshew's ability is to process a play, uh, uh, a game prep that was not designed for him. It was designed for Nick. But he said what was so impressive about Gardner, it's his ability on the fly to basically tell Flip, okay, this is I'm comfortable here, I'm comfortable with this, I'm comfortable with that, uh, and really be able to give the offensive coordinator a clear indication of what he liked. And uh, he said considering the plan wasn't tailored for him, he was incredibly impressed by that. And then the cerebral nature uh, that Gardner Minshew possesses, I, I think is just carried through the rest of the regular season and continues really to, to dazzle the coaches. So I think it really just comes down to the athleticism with Gardner. And uh, what I mean by that is the, the arm strength, which I think at times can be called into question. Uh, you know, I don't think his size is that big of a deal, you know, in this day and age of, of football and his escapability was a positive surprise, but there were times where he would make throws that just did not look like uh, quality starter strength throws and uh, he's worked on that this offseason so I think that'll be the biggest key for him uh, his work ethic is outstanding uh, he's a he's got a gifted football mind so all that gives him a chance I think he is accurate and he can extend plays so there's a lot to like about his game I just think he's got to figure out a way to be a little bit more consistent in terms of the arm strength and if that comes then I think he he does have a chance the problem that he's going to run into there's not a lot of help around them. Yeah, I actually think I'm higher on Gardner than a lot of the national media. And you mentioned the lack of arm strength. And I, I, I mean, I agree. I think that's a glaring thing that sticks out on tape with some of his throws. But I also feel like as a rookie, especially where he was drafted and how those players are expected to perform, he actually, in a way, understood his limitations. And I don't think you saw too many instances. Maybe in the second half of the year, he had a couple bad starts there down the stretch right before they went back to Nick Foles. But I felt like he understands his limitations and he understands he doesn't have that kind of, that kind of arm that can squeeze, you know, those downfield passes into tight windows and he behaves that way. And I think that's a really important thing to be able to understand your limitations, uh, and be able to adjust for them and, and tailor your game to your strengths and not your weaknesses. But I mean, you look at his final numbers, 60% of his passes, over 3,000 yards in a 14 game season, 21 touchdowns, six interceptions. And 91.2 passer rating. I, I guess the question for you, you just talked about how cerebral he is. Is there any concern that they went out and they hired Jay Gruden, who I think is a pretty good offensive mind and kind of gets a bad rap for what happened in Washington when most coaches aren't, aren't succeeding in Washington. I don't care who you are. Is there some concern though that in this nature of this offseason, in this shortened offseason where teams can't really meet, that it's going to be difficult for him to adjust to a new offensive coordinator? It's certainly difficult uh, on the surface. I don't think it will affect Gardner neg- in a negative fashion because uh, he is so um, incredibly adaptable in terms of the offensive scheme. He even points out, you know, he had to learn five offenses in four years of college, and then he made a comment, I don't even know how that's possible, um, <laughs> but it is. It's, it's what happened to him. He had to learn five offenses in four years of college football. So, um, so he is certainly used to that. Again, this is somebody that Nick Saban was going to bring on as a graduate assistant, um, you know, before uh, Mike Leach talked Gardner into playing for Washington State for one more year. So you look at, uh, you look at Gardner Minshew's ability uh, to 
to really understand concepts in the game of football. And, and so I don't think it'll affect him in terms of picking up what Jay Gruden wants. The question that I have is how will it affect the other 10? Because you just can't, and not to say that, you know, not to say the other 10 can't do it, but I don't know that they're on the level, even the veterans, that Gardner is. And, uh, and so while if you had to have a guy that's the leader and knows everything, obviously you want it to be the quarterback. But I think one of the concerns, at least early on, will be are the other 10 guys executing at a, at a consistent enough level for Gardner Minshew to have that success? Yeah, and I think what's going to be interesting is if, if Minshew has a good se- – Minshew can have a good season and you can show signs of development and the Jazz, Jags can still finish with the top five pick. I think both of those things, they're not mutually exclusive. And the question is then going to become in Jacksonville, not to skip ahead of a full season, is do you go, do you draft a quarterback uh, and, you know, make mention your backup, use them at trade bait, you know, we'll see. Or do you keep developing mention? I think that's the question that they're going to have to – the question, the answer – regardless of how the season goes, because I think even if Menchie plays well, I think they do have a fairly small ceiling. Uh, but I feel like seven wins would probably be a good season for them. Uh, you did mention the other 10 players on the offense, though, so let, let's talk about Leonard Fournette for a second, because uh, like Gardner Menchie's success, I do think Fournette's season last year does kind of fly under the radar because of how much a mess the Jags were, and then a lot of that does include Fournette. He improved his skills as a pass catcher. Do you think there's any way he comes back for 2021 or do you think the 2020 season is his last season in Jacksonville? I think it's his last season in Jacksonville and, uh, and, and Fournette is one of their better players, but I just think as they move forward, I think that they will, uh, you know, they will go ahead and let him test the market. But, you know, to your, to your, you know, comment, he certainly was uh, a yardage machine last year with uh, just under 1700 yards of offense. And the only problem with Leonard is he just doesn't score much. Now, not all of that is on Leonard's shoulders, uh, but to to receive you know 300 and you know 40 touches and to score three times is uh, is remarkable. And and again, some of that is the offensive line. Some of that was scheme. You know, I understand all that, and and obviously a big part of that is he was the primary focus that the opponent was trying to stop. But that uh, but that's the the thing with Leonard is he just doesn't have enough of that explosive explosive ability. Uh, to find the end zone. He has done it as a rookie. He scored double digits. So it's not that he can't do it, but it was, uh, it was disappointing last year that, you know, for all the, uh, touches that he had, for all the yards he had, he only got in the end zone three times, uh, all rushing, uh, and one of the, the most amazing stats, uh, at least that I took away of from last season is the Jaguars as a team ran for three touchdowns. They gave up 23 rushing <laughs> touchdowns. So 23 to three. Uh, outdone on the ground in terms of finding pay dirt. So, I mean, the 76 catches Fournette had, I don't think that happens again because Chris Thompson's here now. So I would imagine uh, that Chris Thompson will cut into that. Uh, it was good to see that Leonard could do it. Um, but, you know, he didn't do that much with it. He averaged uh, about seven yards a, a catch and, um, and again, didn't score on 76 catches. I you know, I I think you're you're probably looking at a little bit of a of a decrease in yardage production, um, but his touchdowns should go up. Just I mean, because it's it's hard to imagine him scoring fewer than three. Let's take a quick break right now. We're going to come back. We'll talk about Unique Ngagwe, Talk about the Jaguars defense, which I think actually has a chance to be sneaky good. We'll be back in a second. Being around sports media and a fan of oh my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes. 
It's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA and made Charles Barkley the first black president Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Let's talk about Unique Ngakwe. I thought there was going to be a trade all offseason. We thought it would happen during the draft. It never happened. How do you see this situation getting resolved? I still think he gets traded. I, I think that once teams do open camp and, you know, I, I, I think there is so much parity in the league this year, even more so than in most years where we probably have 22 teams that believe they can win the Super Bowl. Um, you know, and I think what you're going to see is one of those teams is going to get on the grass and after about a week, they're going to say to themselves, you know what? We don't, we do not have the edge presence we were hoping we would have, whether that's a veteran that's maybe lost a step, maybe that's an injury, maybe that's a, a young player that they were hoping would uh, step up and, and doesn't show signs of it. I think as we get, into the, you know, into August, if, if everything is on time, uh, I think you could see a deal happen at that point. You know, Dave Caldwell, for all of his flaws as a, as a general manager, being 39 games under 500, he has done a good job of getting maximum value for players and trades. I mean, he got a pick for Blaine Gabbard. He obviously got <laughs> a, a King's ransom for Jalen Ramsey. So, uh, so he does have a knack for knowing when to move a player. And so my guess is, uh, you know, it, Yannick Ngakwe will be traded. I think it's going to be awfully difficult uh, for Caldwell to bring Ngakwe back into the building when Ngakwe on Twitter is, is called the owner's son, Tony Khan, a clown. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the cons are still pretty new owners, and I think they're incredibly, uh, they're going to be incredibly sensitive to that. So I, I don't know that they're going to be willing to pay you know, on the franchise tag, $17.8 million to somebody who has been so blatantly disrespectful to Tony Khan. So uh, I think he's traded. Uh, and frankly, I, I would be shocked if he ever plays for the Jaguars again. Okay, then that's interesting because so you don't see any way forward for these two, for this team and this player to coexist because, you know, when you look at the Jags roster, you know, you've got a 25-year-old pass rusher entering the prime of his career, 37 and a half sacks, uh, over the past four seasons, I know he's only had one double-digit sack season, uh, but constantly applying pressure. I think, you know, if you were to rank young edge rushers, it, you know, if you were to put them in the draft, he would probably be in the top five, top ten. And you look at the Jaguars team, what do they need? They need good young players at premium positions, which is what he is. So you don't see any way forward whatsoever for these two sides. I, I don't. I would be really surprised if if Ngakwe is is back. And, again, the trade could happen even sooner because of obviously the, um, you know, the deadline in terms of the franchise tag. So, uh, you know, it, the value will obviously go down for the Jaguars if, uh, you know, if Ngakwe hasn't signed the tag, he would have to sign it uh, and then get traded. And then if you're the team trading for him, now he's playing on the tag. Um, you know, you, you, you know, are past the deadline, I believe, it, to which you would be able to sign him to an extension. 
So there's a little bit of a crunch. So, uh, you know, I mentioned the timeline being, you know, sometime in training camp. And in all actuality, it might be uh, before that franchise tag deadline because the team acquiring him probably would want to agree to a deal. So maybe he does get, you know, maybe it doesn't take uh, another general manager actually seeing his team practicing. Maybe it's a general manager that looks at the landscape and says, you know what, uh, this is a move we're going to make. This is a player we're going to give a contract to. So uh, we'll see. I, I think it'll be really interesting if uh, Jadavion Clowney gets signed uh, in the next week or so, and then Ngakwe becomes, you know, unquestionably the best edge rusher that would be, uh, you know, a available and you know to be acquired in a trade or, or a signing what do you think the price tag would have to be for the jags to be willing to move him? do you think it has to be a first round pick is it multiple first round picks they got two for jalen ramsey i find it hard to believe a team will give up two for ngakwe uh, but you have to believe it's at least one right i think it's one and, and again i think if you're looking at you know i mentioned that there's probably 22 teams that think they can make the tournament and make a big run well we know there's six to eight that truly feel like they can win the Lombardi Trophy this year. So, uh, you know, I think if you're one of those six to eight that you feel like, look, this is a player that, uh, you know, when we're going to have the lead way more than than Jacksonville did with Ngakwe, and he's a closer. I mean, he's the kind of guy that when he gets to the quarterback, normally the ball gets off the quarterback. So if you're, you know, if if you've got a seven-point lead in the fourth quarter and the opponent you know is going to be throwing it every down, Ngakwe is the kind of player that could be a superstar in the right environment. He just the last couple of years, the Jaguars have been terrible, and he's rarely been able to, you know, pin his ears back and go after the quarterback, knowing it's it's going to be a pass. So, uh, you know, I, I think it would be a one uh, somewhere probably in you know that when you look at the 2021 draft, probably 26 to 32. So let's assume Ngakwe is off the roster come week one. I, this this even still has some interesting young pieces. I love the Josh Allen pick. Um, from last year, that was one of my favorite picks in the entire draft. They got Caleb Von Chasod, uh, in, in this year's draft in addition to CJ Henderson, Joe Schobert, Miles Jack. I think you can look at this Jaguars defense and make an argument they could be a top half of the league team. I'm curious to hear though what your ceiling for this Jags defense is in 2020. Yeah, I think top half would be ambitious, but certainly, uh, attainable if everything went right. Um, Josh Allen is looks like he's going to be a, a superstar, so I'm I totally agree with you there. Um, if Ngakwe is gone, uh, then I do wonder, uh, you know, to rely on uh, Chase on to to give you that as a rookie. Uh, you know, I, I think that that's asking a lot, but maybe it happens. You know, Taven Bryan is a guy that you know they they still believe can be a late developer, the first rounder in 2018. So uh, is he able to give them any sort of inside pressure? Uh, that would be huge. Rodney Gunter, the free agent addition from Arizona, is somebody that they brought in to help replace Calais Campbell. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody expects him to be Calais Campbell, but he's got to at least, you know, shrink the the chasm that exists there now. Um, you know, Schobert and Miles Jack have the potential to be a nice uh, duo at linebacker. And then, you know, at corner, you look at it, and you know, Trey Herndon played way above his head last year. Does that continue? Um, C.J. Henderson obviously has to be a star, you know, right away for that pick to uh, be justifiable at nine, or you know, or at least be an above-average quality starter as a rookie. And you know, and, and at safety, I think they're okay, not great. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's yeah. The other the other issue I think the Jaguars run into is you know they just don't their scheme. I they're and they are doing some you know tweaking and things like that, but they just have never really been able to fool many teams with. 
uh, defensive coordinator Todd Wash, who's now been at the helm for you know several years. And you know, in 2017, when they were so dominant, they just had such an embarrassment of talent uh, that they just athletically overwhelmed people. And so I, I do have concerns that you know just the you know the scheme and, and how it's run will keep them from probably making that quantum leap forward. So I think this is a defense that you know, probably you're still going to see ranked in the 20s and all the the significant categories. Yeah, and and look, if the Jaguars are going to outperform expectations, and Lord knows they have very low expectations heading into the season, that defense is going to have to be a lot better than expected. Right now, their win total is set at 4.5. That's the lowest in all of football. I think most national, uh, you know, analysts would probably peg the Jaguars as a lock for a top five pick. It's the NFL. You never know what happens. Injuries can change everything across the entire league. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious to hear what your ceiling for this team is and what your floor is. I, I think ceiling would probably be six and 10, which is, you know, a lot of people are quick to point out a lot of the fans, uh, you know, well, they went six, they won six games last year and a lot of things went wrong. Well, a lot of things went right too. They, they were very healthy on the offensive line. Uh, the running back, you know, gained almost 1,700 yards of offense. Uh, DJ Chark uh, was a, a revelation in, in his second year in the league. Does that continue? You had a field goal kicker that only missed uh, one field goal and, and one extra point the whole year. Uh, it, you know, it seems like that's a lot to expect to happen again. So I would say 6-10 and 10 is probably the best you could hope for. Um, and, you know, and again, Gardner Minshew is the key to all this. Uh, I, I think they could easily go three and thirteen. I mean, I, I think that you know if, if they don't get lucky in terms of playing opponents at the right time when maybe they do have a key injury, uh, if they themselves have some significant attrition, or if Gardner Minshew just doesn't take the step. I mean, now obviously he's going to be studied relentlessly by everybody that plays the Jaguars. So you know, if the league counterpunches him and he can't respond to it, then I think three and thirteen is certainly on the table. Uh, you know, perhaps worse. Um, but I, I would put their range somewhere between three and six with more of a, and I'd go under on the four and a half. We're going to wrap it up there, though. Thanks again to Hayes Carline for joining the Pick 6 podcast today to discuss the Jaguars. Follow him on Twitter, at Hayes Carline. Uh, Hayes, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.